Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. Let us pray. Living God, speak your word and so teach us to live the life of the baptized to the glory of your name. Amen. It's the second Sunday of Advent, traditionally associated with John the Baptist, and therefore a perfect setting for the baptisms that took place earlier. And our reading from Matthew's Gospel this morning presents us with a picture of this wild and unkempt figure out there in the wilderness proclaiming a very uncompromising message and people flocking to hear him. These people evidently had to get up and move to listen to John. They had to get up and go if they wanted to hear him. They had to leave their homes, they had to journey into the desert, and clearly they did in their droves. They flocked to him from Jerusalem, from Judea, from the Jordan Valley, from miles and miles around. And you can't help wondering why. Why did they come? What prompted them? Some of them, after all, came only to receive an ear bashing. So here come those known as the Pharisees and those known as the Sadducees, queuing up for baptism. And you would have thought that John would be pleased to see them. Significantly, Pharisees and Sadducees represented two very different theological positions, two very different politics. And so John is clearly reaching out across great theological and political divisions in attracting both parties. And you'd think, therefore, that John would welcome and affirm them. But not a bit of it. As far as John is concerned, they're all just a brood of vipers. That certainly is no charm offensive by John. Gratuitously offering people insults is an unlikely way to attract people to your cause. So what brought them out? What gave this crowd this urge to go out to this strange, austere figure and to submit to his baptism? Well, I would suggest to you that one reason would have been a deep sense of discontentment. Somewhere in the hearts of those who came, there must have lurked an uneasy sense of disenchantment with the way things were, with the status quo, and therefore a yearning for change. These crowds sensed deep down that things were out of sorts, that somehow the world was skewed and out of kilter, that people were heading in the wrong direction, and therefore that there had to be change. And so for a start, there were economic pressures that these people were living under. Life was not easy for peasant farmers. 
dependent as they were upon landlords who inhabited the world of large cosmopolitan cities and who were often absent, leaving their tenants to groan under the weight of taxation. And there were religious motives, too, for people to head out into the wilderness in search of change. In rural areas, people often felt alienated from the main religious center of Jerusalem with its leaders and their links to the occupying power of Rome. Indeed, it may well be that part of John's attraction was that his baptism offered a way of dealing with sin without having to go and offer sacrifices at the temple. It was a way of getting close to God without having to submit to the temple's regulations and protocols. Certainly, there were others who were disenchanted with life as it was and who headed out into the wilderness in search of an alternative. There was a community known as Qumran, situated near the Dead Sea, where 19 centuries later, in 1945, what became known as the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And indeed, it is not impossible that John himself belonged to that Qumran community. That community also took as a text for its life the verse from Isaiah that John quotes, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, clear a straight path before him. So, disillusionment, disenchantment, discontent with the status quo, this was fertile ground for the message of repentance and baptism. And so, they flocked to John. Though, of course, scratch the surface of each individual person, and you get a different individual story. Maybe some people who came had personal reasons. Maybe some were caught up in life struggles and burdens and were desperate for change and for a fresh start. All manner of factors, personal, social, political, religious, might have driven people out into the Judean wilderness to rendezvous with this strange, fiery, abrasive figure with his loud threats and warnings and his message of repentance. John connected with a deep sense of disenchantment, disillusion, a yearning for change. And here, perhaps, we might find an obvious connection with today. As a Brit, of course, I'm very attuned to the general election that's taking place at the moment in the UK. And one depressing feature of the British social political landscape is the cloud of discontent and disillusionment that is hanging over it sense somehow that things are not working, that we are ill at ease, and that somehow things are going wrong. 
And of course, the majority of us live far more comfortable lives than previous generations did. But still, there is a sense somehow that we should be doing better as a society. The UK, after all, is deeply divided. Divided by Brexit, but divided too by wealth and opportunity and privilege. And so there is disillusionment and discontent. A sense not just that one or other political party is failing, but that the whole system is somehow bust and needs to change. Doubtless, it's always been thus. But with every conceivable technological advance to help us, surely we might be doing better. With all our progress, you would think that there should be a greater realization of the common good and of a nation at peace with itself. Well, that's the UK, but it is, of course, just a microcosm of the wider world. Look at the USA today. Look further afield to global conflicts that are simmering and being inflamed. Consider the environmental threat. And, of course, there is such widespread cynicism about our leaders be it in the UK or the USA or France or Iran or Syria and so on and so on. And as in John's day, all this cashes out in personal stories. So take two of the people who were baptized this morning. And I have permission to share something of their stories and you can follow up afterwards by talking to them directly. Take Ibrahim. Ibrahim is a political refugee from Iran whose life was endangered by his courage as a whistleblower, publicizing government wrongdoing and cover-up. And along with his opposition to the regime, there was disillusionment with the religion of the regime, in this case, Islam. And it's that kind of discontent that is fertile ground for baptism, and after flirting with various other religions, with mysticism and Baha'i, here is Abraham today, a Christian. Abraham's whole life spells change, and baptism symbolizes it. And so too with Imad. Imad was born and brought up a Muslim. But in his early 20s, he became disenchanted with Islam and abandoned all religion and effectively became an atheist. His faith had ceased to mean anything to him at all, and so he discarded it. But after a few years, he felt an emptiness, a disillusionment with a world without God and faith. And that again was fertile ground for change. 
choosing not to return to the religion of his childhood, but to Christianity, largely because of kindness that was shown to him by Christians in a time of need. These are exactly the factors, political, social, personal, that brought out the crowds in John's day and others today to the waters of baptism. Disillusionment and a yearning for change. And to those who flocked to John, the message was all about change. Repent, cried John. Repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. And what a mess the church has made of that message of repentance. What a travesty. I wonder what you think of when you hear that word repent. It probably has all kinds of associations of sin and guilt and shame and judgment. I am such a loathsome sinner that I need to repent and be changed. In other words, the call to repent is premised upon bad news. You are a sinner and you are in trouble. That was not John's message. Not at all. John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the call to repentance is premised on good news. God is near. God is at hand. God has returned to God's people after centuries of relative absence when Israel has been languishing. God is on the move. God is back in town. Things are about to change, so you need to get with it and change too. And that's such a positive prompt to change. And yes, says John, if you don't change, disaster will befall you. As indeed happened to this entire region of Jerusalem and Judea some years later in A.D. 70 with the sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans because of Jewish rejection of the new thing that God was doing. And faced with our world today with its conflicts and its divisions and particularly our trashing of the planet we face potential disaster too if we don't change. But for Christians, the prompt to change, as in John's day, is not the threat of destruction, but rather the good news that God has made a move and it demands a response. So one last point. God has made a decisive move, it demands repentance, change. But that response begins with a community that lives it. Repentance begins in community, a community that is learning together what it means to live with the one who Jesus proclaimed, whose John proclaimed 
as Lord. It's a community that's exploring together what changes are required of us if indeed God's rule has come. It's a community that is asking the question, what does it mean for us to repent? What does it mean to celebrate God's rule in the world? This has to be enfleshed corporately as we help one another to live out the kingdom. And that brings me to the last of our baptismal candidates this morning, Susan. Susan has been a Christian and has been attending various churches for years. But somehow along the way, she never did get round to being baptized. Here in Amsterdam, however, she found this church community where she feels inclined to tie this loose thread, even though she's not going to be here for very long. I'm intrigued that you, Susan, did not feel particularly strongly motivated to be baptized until you found a community in which you felt you belonged. You remind us that baptism is not a private transaction between me and God. It's into a community that lives it out. So thank God for the three of you. In a world every bit as conflicted and torn as in John's day, Abraham, Imad, and Susan have borne witness. Witness to the change that has come with Christ and the change that is required of us. May your baptisms this morning be an encouragement to us all. As Christ's church, to live out the life of the baptized together and to bear witness as John did to the one who has come. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, as we remember today we brought the people out to be baptized by John, we pray for those who were disillusioned with the politics, the religion, and the injustices of our day. We pray for those yearning for change. We are grateful for those who are fighting for change, bringing your kingdom and giving us hope. We pray for leaders around the world as they gathered this past week at the NATO summit. We also ask for your wisdom and guidance for the upcoming general elections in the UK this coming week. We pray that disillusionment and despair will not prevent people from coming out to vote. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As today we are celebrating baptism, we pray specifically for Susan, Ibrahim, and Imad. Fill them with your holy and life-giving spirit. Keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church and send them into the world to witness to your love and bring them to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thinking of baptism as baptism into the church, we pray for your church, called to live out your kingdom. Lord, may the church which you founded proclaim your greatness to all peoples. 
you promised to plant the seed of justice among your people. May we continue to live in response to the coming of God's reign. Through faith, you lead us into the light. May we reveal your justice through our deeds. Lord Jesus Christ, you have called us into your glorious kingdom. Teach us, Lord, to love each other as Christ loved us for Christ's glory. Fill us all with joy and peace in faith, that we may walk in the hope and strength of the Holy Spirit. Help all mankind, Lord, in your loving mercy. Be near to those who seek you without even knowing it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In this season of Christmas, we pray for the services coming up this month. May we be a witness to those entering through the doors of this church. Lord, we long for your coming. Grant us the gift of hope, patience, and waiting in these Advent days. The promise of new light is there. Protect us from dangers and lead us through the despair and darkness into the light and joy we long to find in you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.